Acts chapter 5. We'll read through our text as we cover the lesson this morning rather than all at one time. And uh, as you're in Acts chapter 5, do let me uh, remind you regarding visitation and outreach this week. On the back table, there are invitations for next Sunday. I want to encourage everyone in the room Everybody in the room, and we'll, we'll look at this tonight and see how well the challenge has gone, but I'm going to challenge you to take five. Every person take five invitations for next Sunday's Easter services, Resurrection Sunday services, and simply hit the two, three houses right there near you or take them to work with you. You know, it's still not illegal to invite people to church, and uh, it, as, you, as you go out in different places, doctor's offices, a social security office, wherever it may be this week, wherever life takes you, invite folks to come. And then do meet with us on Tuesday evening at 7, and uh, we want to go out, we'll do some canvassing if the weather permits us to be able to do that in an area this week. So far, weather hasn't allowed us, and size has allowed us, and uh, so if you can help us with that this week, let's be busy about inviting folks to church for Resurrection Sunday. This is Lesson 5. Lesson 1 making a difference through relationship. Lesson two, uh, we were making a difference through caring. Lesson three, making a difference through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Last week, lesson four, was making a difference through generosity. And today, lesson five is making a difference uh, through faithfulness or faithfulness making a difference. When you read the story, the history, of the first century church. You'll find out that the first century church was challenged in every degree by opposition and criticism. In every degree. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5 this morning is we find it right there. Now when we're looking at this uh, faithfulness, the reason that our lesson points us to this is the church was having such a hard time and it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just the, what we would call the heathen that were causing the issue. It was the religious people that were causing the issue. The Sanhedrin, who we'll look at in a little while. But they were opposing, they were opposing the first century church on every realm, on every corner. In fact, just to, to remind you of a couple of them. Do you remember when, when, uh, when the young man or the man was healed? Uh, and he was healed on a Sunday. And the people, the religious people, could not get excited about the good thing that had happened to a man who had never walked before, and suddenly he's walking. But they're hung in opposition. They don't glorify God. They don't praise the, praise the Lord for anything good that happened. But rather they say, well, it's on the wrong day of the week. And the Scripture says... Well, that's the critic heart. And then they ask him this question in another of the healings. With what authority do you do this? What permission do you have? By whose authority? It's always something along. I share with the teachers at the teachers meeting on Wednesday evening. Do you remember what they said about the persons of the disciples? And it was not meant as a compliment. These ignorant, unlearned, fishermen all three of them were meant as stabs as pokes as prods ignorant not one person in here today is desirous to be called that unlearned and then fishermen you 
you're ignorant and you're unlearned, but even your occupation, something that was looked down on, much the same way that the society even looked at shepherds. And so there was an attack in every way. Now, what if you had been living in that day? What if you and I were members of the first century church? What would you do? Now, here's the thing that made a difference. The truth and reality is God gave us the great, and I like to say it this way, the great command. I know that we, history and tradition has us calling it the great commission, but we need to understand this. It's the great command. Now, the first century church had the same command that we had. The closest that the Great Commission or Great Command has ever come to being accomplished was in the first century church. Now, the stabs, the criticisms, all the things that came along with it, you ignorant, you unlearned, you fishermen, later on in the Scripture, all of those things had to be addressed honestly. And here's how they are addressed a little later and in an honest fashion. Suddenly it came to the place nobody can argue with the fact something's different. Something's different. We, we, we want this, whatever it is that's different about these people, we want it. And literally thousands of people at a time were coming to Christ because of this, the faithfulness of the disciples. Far more faithful than you and I. We live in a quit generation. If it gets hard, quit. If it gets hard, change places. If it gets difficult, Remove the difficulty. The disciples faced far more difficult situations than you and I have. And we'll read about those as we get started this morning. Now, I said that it all came to a point where the ignorant and the unlearned fishermen, the three negative things they called them, here's what the world finally said of them. They have been with God. It became very evident. Quite truthfully, I'd rather be ignorant and unlearned and a fisherman and people be able to say they've been with God than to people look at me and say, educated, well-versed, importance. The key was they had been with God. Now let's look together for a little while this morning at uh, this first century church and we look first at the circumstances that they endured the circumstances that the, they endured i want to remind you that god today is searching for faithful people the book of proverbs says it this way proverbs 20 and verse 6 most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness most men see their own goodness but a faithful man who can find? God is looking for faithful people. Number two, faithfulness is a quality that God requires. Listen to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians 4. Moreover, 
it is required in stewards that a man be found successful. No, I hope you catch that. It's required that a man be found intelligent. No, faithful. God requires faithfulness. So God is searching for faithful ones. God is looking for the quality and he requires faithfulness. But then there's a result of that. There's special blessings that come from that. Proverbs 28 and 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Jesus said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life. Now, write this statement down if you don't have it there before you. If you want to make a difference, you have to go the distance. If you want to make a difference, you have to go the distance. That means that you have to remain faithful. There are three important ingredients in faithfulness, and we're going to look at those three quickly this morning. Number one, the circumstances that they endured. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 4, so that, ye, uh, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all persecution and tribulation that ye endure. Paul urged Timothy to endure difficulties in 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. Now therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in chapter 4, verse 5, and says, But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. There are so many people today that say, Well, I'd be faithful, but I, I just encountered something. My, my job keeps me from, or my personality keeps me from, or my schedule keeps me from, or my obligations keep me from, and my age keeps me from, and my, my health keeps me from. Can I tell you what keeps you from and me from? I keep me from me. You know, it's amazing you, you do what you want to do. I've shared this with you before. We were Christmas shopping. We were in Best Buy. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. I went around the end cap of a place and ran head-on into a lady that was too sick to be in church. She hadn't been in church in months. When she saw me, you would have thought she saw a ghost. And I didn't say a thing to her about church. In fact, if I remember right, I said, boy, it's a madhouse out here, isn't it? But all she could think about at that moment, and she said, Preacher, you probably are wondering what I'm doing out. No, I wasn't wondering why, what you were doing out. I knew she was Christmas shopping. And she said, I just, um, I can't be around people. Okay. That was one case. I was in a business a good while back. A fellow asked me, he said, you're Pastor Landmark, right? I said, yes. You're such and such pastor? Yes. We began talking about it, and it's a person that just, again, too ill, too out of sorts to be in church. I was addressing it from that. 
person said to me, yeah, we, were, we, we sat at the baseball game yesterday together. I will tell you this. God requires us to be faithful. What I'm telling you right now is a lot of times we're not faithful. We choose, we pick and choose what we want to do. And that's why, and I've said it, and I'm not trying to, I'm boasting on her. I'm, I'm bragging on her. I got the phone call from Mary Martin a few weeks ago. And she said, Preacher, I just had to let you know the blood counts came back and the doctors say they find cancer nowhere. But every Sunday morning, with the exception, I think, of two, when I have stood here, I have looked back let me tell you something. Her condition didn't change her faithfulness. You, you, you want me to tell you what, I'm, as a preacher and as a Christian, she has spoken faithfulness to me. And when she called me and I hung up, I was driving at the time, I said, Lord, thank you for what you've done for her. And instantly, the thought that came across my mind, she's been faithful. And I'm going to be faithful to those that are faithful to me. They endured. What are some of the things that they endured? First, letter A, they endured a rest. Look at your text, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse number 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, his side, his group, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in prison. No crime was committed. They were simply preaching the gospel. Now, who is this? The Sanhedrin. They are basically in the United States what we would call the Supreme Court. That's basically who they were. And Jesus had just been crucified a few weeks before. And here's what they think. We shut him up. We quietened his message. You remember the first reaction that the disciples had, the instant reaction after crucifixion? They sort of held themselves up put themselves away. The Bible tells us it was out of fear. They had fear before they got faithful. Now the Sanhedrin says, okay, we killed him. We put him, in. we've shut up this doctrine. But here, remember, look at your memory verse again this morning. Everywhere they went, they went preaching, they went teaching, they went giving the gospel out. So now they're angry because what they thought they had accomplished, they have not yet accomplished. And so, what are the conditions that they had to endure? They, first of all, they were arrested. Look at the second, if you would, letter B. They endured unfounded accusation. Look at verse 27 of the text, if you would. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, sometimes well-intentioned, sincere Christian servants can falsely be accused. Their motives are questioned, and their actions may be viewed even as skeptics. Look at Luke 23, 10 here. And the chief priest and scribe stood and vehemently accused them. Now, I can't go into a lot of it this morning, but the, uh, similar things are happening here that had happened in the trial of Christ and would happen in other places. They actually, the courts, history tells us that the courts had hired false witnesses. They had hired people who 
weren't there, didn't see it, didn't know anything about it, and gave them a script and said, this is what you're supposed to say. And so there are false accusations, false arrests that are also mentioned here. Look at C, if you would, please. They endured uncomfortable abuse. They endured uncomfortable abuse. Now, Acts chapter, uh, look, look at down at 5 and verse number 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, Jesus had told his disciples that his kingdom, that his kingdom and his expansion and what would be involved with that, and he even told them, aren't you glad God's honest with us? He even told them, of mistreatment he even told them of martyrdom mark chapter 13 and verse 9 look there if you would but take heed to yourselves for they shall deliver you up to the councils and in the synagogues and ye shall be beaten and ye shall be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake for my testimony against them luke chapter number 21 and verse 16 and ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends and some of you shall they cause to be put to death and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake now what was their response to this their response the first century church their response was being thankful and their response was to take advantage of the opportunity and it seems like every time that they were put in an abusive situation Every time they encountered circumstances that were abusive to them, they used the abuse to gain an audience to be able to present the gospel. Look at number two, if you would please, the companionship that they experienced. How are they going to handle? How did they, and truthfully, let's just say, how in the world did they stick together? Why didn't they close their mouths? And let me say this, in our country right now, we still have religious freedom. We still have it. Now, I will say this, some people have abused some religious freedom. If you're at your workplace, I think you ought to evangelize those that you work with. But that doesn't mean it should interfere with your work. If it does, you are a poor testimony. Most of the things that I'm following and reading behind Dr. Gibson, CLA, and the religious cases that come up in court uh, for, as, you know, with employment and things like that are people, yes, that are Christians, but they're doing it at a time that it costs the employer. Do things ethically. Witness ethically. So we have the freedom. The difference in us is when we are threatened with the loss of our freedom, we close our mouth. I, in, the, in the front page today uh, of, our, of our bulletin, there's an article there uh, mentioned that I read a few weeks ago, and here's what it said. 78% of the church population, Christian population, 78% never invite anybody to church services with them. But we're really worried about religious freedom, Right? If we were really concerned about it, wouldn't we be operating our religious freedom? Wouldn't we be taking advantage of the religious freedom? 
But here's the companionship. Look at verse 19 through verse 21. But the angel of the Lord, by might, opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate, oh, look out, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now notice what happened as a result of the companionship of the Lord Jesus Christ, this angel coming. Notice, notice what happened. First, Christ's in, uh, Christ intervention gave them liberty. God physically sent his angel to guard them, to take care of them, and to minister to them. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Paul in 2 Timothy, the old man addressing the young man, said, Persecutions and afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Matthew 28 and verse number 20, when he gives us the great command, he tells us our companionship. He doesn't just say, go and go alone. He says, go and I'll go with you. In chapter 28 of Matthew, verse number 20, he says, and lo, I'm with you always. There is a companionship that is mentioned here. Christ's intervention gave liberty. Now, if you would turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll read a little bit, uh, a few more verses from that area. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 through verse 18. And my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Now, Paul, we know a lot of folks left his ministry. But Paul said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto the heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'd encourage us, we could go back this morning and study why people leave ministry. And here's what you find a lot of times, they're much like Demas having loved the present world. I don't know what it was that happened with John Mark, but it sure soured Paul. Didn't mean that God was finished with Mark, but something happened. Look at B, if you would, please. Christ's instruction gave them responsibility. Christ's instruction gave them responsibility. Christ's intervention gave them liberty. Now his instruction gives them responsibility. In verse number 20, Go, stand, and speak. Go, stand, and speak. And notice it says in the temple to all the people, and it gives them the message, all the words of this life. God didn't free the apostles from prison so that they could run and hide. Most of us would think, okay, I've been in prison and I didn't do anything wrong, and when I get out of here, and we're off on by ourselves. But God didn't free them. To go and hide. God freed them in order that they might have more open doors, more open opportunities to fulfill that command that he had left to the first 
century church. In the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 22 is written there for you, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God. And then Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. And we know this. What did Pharaoh say? Let my people go. But did you know that that wasn't the end of Moses' message? There was a purpose to that. Let my people go that they may serve me. So Christ's instruction here gave them responsibility. Now let's look together at the third part of this this morning, the character that they exhibited. The character. There's three specific ways that they showed character in their faithfulness. We'll look at those if we may please. And first one we find is A, they resisted being silenced. Notice our text, verse number 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? In other words, didn't we tell you, and let's just put it like we would say it, didn't we tell you to shut your mouths? Did, and in essence, they're saying, didn't we tell you we don't want to hear what you have to say? Shut your mouths. Didn't we, didn't we sort of give you an inclination what would happen if you didn't close your mouth? What was the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the day, the religious people of the day? What were they trying to do? Silence them. You see, that's what the devil would like to do with all of us. Silence us. Silence our witness. And there's, I know, I realize, there's a lot of different ways to, that, that we witness, but the biblical way of witness, if you look at the great command, it's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. It's not a silent thing. I believe in lifestyle evangelism, but I believe this too. I believe too many people have adopted that, and there's no vocal evangelism. Well, I'll just let the world... And the disciples, remember what the, what the Bible said of them, these men turned the world upside down. It was known that they had been with God. That's a lifestyle evangelism. But at the same time, they had a vocal, vocal verbal evangelism. They took the gospel everywhere. And like it or not, try to put away your responsibilities or try not to put away our responsibilities. Our command is to take the gospel out of these four walls and to do it in a physical way verbal manner lifestyle evangelism yeah that works but there's also called confrontational brother huffman and brother hibbard were visiting yesterday on the bus route we had uh, some visitors here with us last sunday morning and uh, they went to check on one of the men that visited us last sunday morning he wasn't home but uh, a roommate was there at the house college students and for one hour, Brother Huffman and Brother Hibbard were able to witness to him and to share the things of the gospel. Now, he says that he's a Christian man, and I hope and pray that that's true of him. But Chuck and Kevin took it out of here. You know, that man isn't going to understand their lifestyle evangelism. And there's a lot of other ways of evangelism that they're never going to know unless somebody confronts them. And still the biblical form of that evangelism rests on this century 
church. So we notice they resisted being silent. Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, I know this is is key in a couple of states right now. There are bills uh, before different state assemblies trying to ban Christians from passing out tracts and being able to witness on the street. And in those states, I already know of groups of pastors who have said to their church, the Bible tells us to obey the ordinances of man, but when it comes to this, we're going to obey God. I wonder if we do that. Now here it is, they resisted being silenced. Now I know that the Bible says, let every man be subject to the higher powers. But there comes a time when you have to obey God rather than obeying man. And that's why I mentioned a while ago, we still live in a country of religious freedom. But let me tell you the problem with most Christians. We are scared to death. We're scared of what someone may say. We had a man out on visitation a number of years ago. The apartment complex has since been torn down. It's over on Staples Mill Road. He was out inviting folks, to, kids to come on his bus route and parents to come with him. A man stepped out on his front porch and shut the door behind him, balled up his fist, and punched our fellow right in the center of the nose. Find in the Bible where that says, okay, quit. What I'm trying to get us to see this morning, it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. And we become silent. What are we afraid of? Oh, we're afraid of what somebody will say. Let me tell you something else we're afraid of. We're afraid that we'll be asked a hard question. I just don't, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to... If you don't, let me tell you this. The fault doesn't lie with the person you're to witness to. The fault lies to you, lies to me. What does the scripture say about our knowledge of presenting the gospel? Be ready always to give an account. I'm not saying make up an answer. But we become fearful of what we'll say because what somebody else may say or what somebody else may do. We become fearful because we don't keep our ability sharp. We're not in the scripture. We're not memorizing our memory verses. We're not applying what we do memorize. They resisted silence. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. So submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be a king or supreme or as governors as unto them that are sent by them for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, whenever possible, we're taught to go along with what the law says. But again, there are times where we have, and again, I promise you, it's not illegal. Look at B, if you would, please. A, they resisted being silenced. B, they rejoiced in suffering. Not a lot of folks doing that today either. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, They let them go. Listen, there was nothing else that they were guilty of. And what did they do? And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing 
that they were counted worthy to suffer for his namesake. You know, the Bible is not closed when it comes to what we can expect as Christians. Because the Bible says this, In this world ye shall have tribulation. You're going to hit hardship. You're going to hit brick wall. The brick wall may hit you. There's going to be those things. But they were beaten. Most of us, if we were falsely accused would quit at the false accusation. Well, if this is the way I'm going to be treated, if we're hauled in to stand before the judge and before the court, well, I'm not going to say anything else. We'd allow ourselves to be silenced. But notice this, they rejoiced in suffering. They were beaten, they were released, and you guys go home, and then they rejoiced. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, I mentioned Briefly, a moment ago, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Polycarp, he was the basically what we would call the bishop of Smyrna, he was alive and knew John. And he was 86 years old. And the government came in on him and said, we're going to kill you if you do not recant your belief. And he refused to recant. And one of the men that was with him, Polycarp, said this. Let me give you the quotation. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He was asked by one that was there. The guy said, I have respect for your age. I simply want you to say, away with the atheist. And we'll set you free. And they say, the accounts given say that Polycarp pointed out at all the people that were before him and the man who was questioning him and said, away with the atheist. And they killed him. Notice C, if you would. They refused to stop. And daily, how often should we witness? How often should we evangelize? How often should we be faithful? And daily, in the temple, and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ in the temple and in their house when they went to church and then they used their homes they used what god had get where god had given them to live and actually it reminds me back when dad took a fellow named matthew matthew was from what i remember he was a special person he had some special mental needs but he got saved and Dad was taking him on visitation. They went to an apartment, and he just opened the door and walked in. And long story was, it wasn't his apartment, but he went out to the apartment and gathered a bunch of people to come into whoever's house this was. And they, in the New Testament, the first century church, it was inviting people to church, but it was also they invited. Now, they didn't invite just the brothers and sisters in Christ. They invited the world. They invited the lost. They invited the co-workers. 
and their neighbors come into my house. And they may have fed them or had some recreation or whatever. But daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Notice that they ceased not. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Faithfulness makes a difference. Now, we be, at the beginning of our Sunday school class this morning, we were privileged to watch just a few moments of eight years of faithfulness. Brother Kim's faithfulness, the faithfulness of our church, the faithfulness of Brother Ken Shiflett's church. And you know what? If you were, if you were really looking, you saw the result of faithfulness. Did you see the little girl sitting with her arm bent and you could see the bone in her arm now we may not have seen that same little girl we don't know but eight years later did you see all those kids gathered around him and they had meat on their bones and for eight years they've been given the gospel and for the missionary that is in North Korea it's eight years of faithfulness faithfulness makes a difference Let's stand if we can, please. Choir, your room's ready. Let's have you head back as quickly as you can. Brother Young's already.